Um, I want to go ahead and start with a word of prayer because uh, I want to specifically pray this morning uh, for wisdom as I talk, uh, and this stems from some of what we talked about in Sunday school today. Um, the topic that I'm going to deal with, if, if I'm not careful, could come across as, to use the word my wife used this morning, could come across as trite, um, and I don't want that to happen. I have four statements I'd like to make before I start. first one is this. Uh, I don't want you to think that every single thing or every single situation can be boiled down to what we talk about today, okay? So I, I want you to understand that as, as we unfold this particular passage, I don't want to think this is the only thing that the Scripture has to say on this particular topic, okay? But at the same time, I also don't want you to ignore Jesus' words and that what he's talking about might be exactly what is happening, Okay? So I don't want you to think that I'm being trite, and there's no, I, I, I'm just, I'm going to tell you right now, especially after this morning in Sunday school, we were talking about uh, some of these same topics. There's, the reality is so much of what the Bible deals with, the Bible doesn't offer pat answers for everything. There are some things that are overarching principles, okay? But when it comes to dealing with situations, specific situations, the Bible, you can't open it up and say, why did this thing happen in my life, That this particular exact thing, right? You're not going to find that. If somebody had a death in the family this week, you're not going to open it up and say, why did that person die? Does the Bible talk about death, though? Yes. Do you see the difference? Okay. So I don't want you to think that I, I, I'm offering a pat answer to whatever your situation is, but I also don't want you to fall on the other side and ignore what Jesus may have for you today. I don't want you to think that what we talk about is the only thing going on in your life or in another's life. So as well, even with these things, I don't want you to think that with these things that we talk about today, that this is the only thing that, like God is, a, this is the only thing happening in this situation, okay? And I say these things because I know that when you guys showed up today, every single one of you had situations in your life, right? Anybody... Let me just ask you this. Anybody got stuff going on in your life right now? <laughs> and I, I sense the laughter because let me ask you this. Is everything going on in your life uh, roses and balloons and happiness right now? Is that what it is? Just all cupcakes right now? Is that all it is? No? Anybody got some crazy stuff happening in your life right now? You're like, what is going on? Okay. I want you to understand that everything that happens might be multifaceted in its impact, purposes, and causes. So as I pray this morning, the, the thing that I'm going to pray for, I'm going to ask for wisdom as I speak, as I share God's word. But I'm also going to pray, and I hope that you will pray in your hearts for the same thing, that whatever your situation is, that if any aspect of this has something to do with where you're at and what you're going through, that you won't ignore what God may have brought you into this room for this very day. Can we pray that together? Okay, so I'm going to pray it, encourage you in your heart, say, okay, Lord, if there's something you got for me today, help me not to miss it. Help me not to ignore it, okay? Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you um, trusting, Lord, that what we're doing this morning is not dependent on Matt Harmless getting up here and being eloquent, Lord, that's not what we're depending on. Lord, we're depending on uh, a reality of a God and his spirit to be present in this room that will supersede and infiltrate not only the words that I speak this morning, but 
in how those words are heard and received, not just with the mind, but with the heart. And so, God, that is our hope and our prayer this morning, that you will give me wisdom as I speak, but, Lord, that you also give wisdom to those with ears this morning as they hear. I pray this now in Christ's name. Amen. The passage that we have for you today starts with two events that are brought to Jesus' attention. Now, for those of you that have been with me for a long time in Luke, you know that all of Luke chapter 12, maybe a little bit before that, all of this has been one big, long discourse, one seemingly interaction with people. And I'm going to tell you right now, what happens today almost kind of brings a lot of these ideas to a close. So there's a lot of things that we've talked about that are filtering their way into this conversation that we're going to have today that is shared with us from Luke. I'm going to go right to the text, and I'm going to start off by saying that Jesus was just talking to these people, and somebody just had a question. And I can't help it. It feels a lot like what happened in Sunday school today as we're talking in Sunday school, and somebody goes, what about, right? That's exactly what happens, and we have recorded for us this interaction. So listen carefully to this. Turn my clicker on here. There were some present at that very time who told him, being Jesus, about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Now, if you are a person who's been in the Word of God a long time, there's some names in there that sound familiar. Who's heard the name Pilate? Right? When do you usually hear that name referenced? <laughs> Around the crucifixion, and I, I like what Steve said, right? It's usually not something good. This just solidifies that, right? Now, let's think about this, though, in a serious way. And this is where I'm, I'm okay, Lord, help me not to be trite about this. The Galileans up in the northern part of Israel had must have come down. There were some people from Galilee who must have traveled down to Jerusalem where the sacrifices were being done in Jerusalem at the temple. This is the only account of this event. We don't know anything other than what Luke shares with us in this particular event. The other gospel writers don't tell us about this. We don't have anything outside of this gospel account of this particular event. Okay. Here's what we know. There were some Galileans who had been in Jerusalem who this guy Pilate killed. And some way in the killing of them, whether it was because they were there and the killing of these people, the murder of these people happened possibly in the temple or not, we don't know. But it seems like that's probably to me what probably happened. And it happened in such a way that they were there for the sacrifice and this, the, the blood sacrifice that was happening with the, the animals that were being sacrificed, the blood of these human beings. They were killed in such a way that the blood I picture splattered into the sacrifice. And so their blood was mingled with the blood of these animals. This is a hugely tragic, atrocious, heinous, horrible event on a lot of different levels. Besides the fact that there was a government official that had these people murdered, he had them murdered in their place of worship, he had them murdered right at the time of a sacrifice, and the blood was, which was meant to be such a pure, holy moment in their understanding of worship, this sinful crime happened in conjunction with it in such a way, what, what a horrible thing that they were dealing with. 
Let me throw another piece into this puzzle. One of the common things, and I don't think we in our culture go this route often enough, or I don't think we normally go this way, not often enough, but I don't think we normally go this way. For many in this time period, they saw <coughs> if something like that happened to somebody, it must be because of something they had done, right? Whether or not they had done something to Pilate was regardless of the issue. They must have done something for God to allow that to happen to them, right? And so they looked at these events this way. <coughs> and so these people come to Jesus, and they, they've brought this to their attention. Do you think? And Jesus' answer is this. Do you think... And again, not trite. Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? Now, his response might not speak to where you're at, but understand what he's addressing for that culture. Many of them saw that must have been what the issue was. And Jesus says, do you think that they were worse sinners than anybody else? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is no. And in fact, listen carefully to what he says next. I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Now, I don't want to solidify this down to just one particular issue, but here is one at work in tragic events that happened at the hands of sinful people, okay? This is one thing. Am I saying that this is exactly what's happened? No, but remember, we don't want to miss what Jesus may have for you. These are the words of Jesus, not the words of Matt. When Jesus hears of a tragic, tragic event, he says, I'm going to tell you right now, one thing that you can walk away from this is that unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Not meaning that they would die the, in the exact same way, but that there would be sudden death possible unless they as well repent. We've talked about this word repentance casually. Aside, let's talk about what that Greek word is for just a moment. I'm going to have my Greek scholar friend in the audience today pronounce this word for me. Paul, would you pronounce? I clicked the pronunciation guide. That was actually a setup. I wanted to see if he could do it. <laughs> and I knew I would say it wrong. Um, the, the word... You were, oh, the, the teacher calling on you, putting you on the spot. Oh, I, that's the teacher in me doing that. This word, like, have you ever heard the word paranoia? Okay, the, the, the noia part has to do with the mind, and that's the second half of that word. And this word, in its most basic form, has to do with a change of mind. And, but I don't want to dig too much into just, okay, what's the, the actual word, what is it based in? But consider how these people have sought to explain, and this is based on the use of this word. Here's its definition, Okay. Strong's define it as to think differently or afterwards, that is to reconsider. It's a change of mind, right? Now, now, usually when we hear repent, we think 
A lot of people have described it as like a turning around. Like I was going this way, now I'm going to go this way. That's not a terrible way to think about it. But it has, there's, it's a change of, of mind. I was thinking this. Now I'm thinking this. There's a, I've heard some information. Something has happened. Something has gone on that makes me go, that's not going to work. I need to go this way. I mentioned last week the words of Martin Luther when he nailed his 95 theses on that church door. The very first one of those 95 theses was this. Um, Oh, man, I thought I had it up there. There we go. Uh, When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said to repent, he intended that the entire life of believers should be repentance. Right? This repentance is not meant to be a once and done. It's a lifetime reality of the Christian. You're constantly in a state of changing this mind around and go, no, that's not right. I'm headed this. No, not this. I'm headed this way. And so when we hear Jesus saying, unless you repent, you all likewise perish, he's, not, he's talking about clearly that big, there's got to be one big key moment of repentance that we all experience to turn ourselves towards God. But that key moment turns into a lifetime of moments. Does that make sense? And that's what Martin Luther is talking about. I think that's what Jesus is talking about. But more importantly, in this context, this is what we're talking about when we say, what what, what is Jesus saying to these people? They saw this tragic thing, and Jesus says, there's a lot of things you could walk away with, but here's one. That thing happening ought to make you think, I might need to repent. And I want to throw in there, maybe I've waited long enough. Okay. He goes on to say, and I had these out of order, so I'll click back a slide. Jesus then brings up another event, just in case you think, well, that was a case of Pilate, the sinful person, doing something to people. And so he brings in another situation of a tower falling. This is not at the hands of any specific person doing something wrong that caused the death of these 18 people. Jesus is saying, what about just what would seem like or feel like a random event that people would acknowledge that God's hand is in this in some way. And Jesus says, whatever you're thinking about it, to the people in his context, he says this. He says, do you think that they were worse offenders, and that word could be translated debtors, debtors to God in their sinfulness, than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? So this tower in Siloam fell. Do you think that they were worse than anybody else that the tower didn't fall on them? And then he says it again, in case you were wondering, what is he trying to get across here? No. I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Now, we're going to shift gears. This, in and of itself, could be a topic we could talk about all on its own, but I had to tie it to this next part because I think there's something very important to understand because these are events outside. And what Jesus is saying is that when you see these tragic things in life, one thing that you can walk away with is a reminder. I might need to perish. To make it put simply, you may be dragging your feet on your repentance. Understand this clearly. You could walk out of this building. You could get into your car you could pull out onto Poland Road. You could drive down to the end. You could be very careful looking both ways and miss something and pull out. And today could be the day, 
that you stand before the creator of the universe. And if you've been dragging your feet and you're repentant, if there's things that God has been pressing on you, and I'm not talking about just, oh, but some of you, you know exactly. In fact, what's amazing to talk about this is that I can say that thing that you've been dragging your feet on, and I, I'm not even saying what it could be, but if you've got that thing, you're sitting there thinking about it right now. Right? I didn't say it. God didn't tell me what it was. I don't have a clue what your thing could be. I know what my things are that I may be dragging my feet on. But me saying this, I guarantee that if there's something that God has been working on you to say, that's the thing, you need to turn from this thing. Radically turn, not I'll get around to it. Because what Jesus is saying is there may not be a getting around to it. You may get around to it before you get home today. And the getting around to it may not be a chance to do something. It may be an accounting before the creator of the universe. That's what he's saying. Consider this passage from Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 7.2, the, the writer of Ecclesiastes, King Solomon, speaking as a preacher in this case, says it is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind. And the living will lay it to heart. And some of you know exactly what it's like. You've gone to a funeral and you've seen somebody. You've had that moment where you lay it to heart. You're like, that's, in case, none of us is getting out of this alive. You know that, right? You may have made it this far. That's, that, that, no. It is destined a man once to die and after that the judgment. You do not know. We can talk about end times events, and we can talk about all those things, but I'm going to tell you right now, and I've said, I've said a multitude of times, I, we can talk about the up one wall and down another, but you don't know when your end is. And I think that's what Jesus is saying to these people. They want to say, well, what about, what about, what about? And Jesus is saying, let's, and I love that Jesus does this so often. He doesn't just waffle in theoreticals. He so often, in those moments, takes it back to, what about you? Like you can wonder about this and wonder about that all you want, but there's something you can take away very clearly from these things. You, my friend, need to repent. And if you've been dragging your feet or hesitating or putting it off or saying, I'll get around to it, one of the things you can walk away from this reality, tragic events in the world, is this. You may stand before God before the day is over. Now, I do not want anyone to think to themselves right now in this moment that maybe you've waited too long and you've outweighed your opportunity to repent. Just to prove to you that you have not outweighed your opportunity to repent, I want you to do something right now. I want you to take a deep breath. Inhale. Exhale. You know what that means if you could do that? You're still alive. <laughs> right? There is opportunity. You are not dead yet. You are not standing before the God of the universe yet. Now, you may be seconds away. I don't know. Right? In fact, that breath, not to freak you out, but that breath could have been, you could, you could have a, a vein in your heart that's getting ready to pop, and that big, deep breath could have just weakened it a little bit further. I mean, you could be five seconds closer just because, of, no, I hope not. That's manipulative. I don't want to be manipulative. But 
my point is that it's not, you're not there yet. Now you may, and this is why I wanted to include this next part with this. You may say, but man, I've had a bunch of terrible things happen in my life. Now, I, I think that there may be at least some truth to that. There may be some upheaval in your life because earlier when I said, have you brought some situations, you all chuckled. That's usually the chuckle of the my life is an upheaval sort of person. And you may say, I also, not only does my life feel like it's an upheaval half my time, the other half my time when it's not an upheaval, I feel like I'm surrounded by crap. Now, I wonder to myself if I could say the word crap, but my mom, who is the most holy, righteous person I've ever met in my life, she said that word. And so if she said it, I can say it. Now, there's other words for crap that I'm not going to say from the pulpit or ever. Dirty mouth, people. But here's the thing. You may be saying, and fill in the blank however you feel so fit to do so, but you may be saying, when my life's not enough, people, I feel like it's surrounded by poo. My life is a poo storm. <laughs> well, you know what? I'm going to tell you right now. That's good. Listen to what Jesus says next. He tells, he's going to tell them a parable, and it's in conjunction with this. These people, that, the, the people that Pilate mingled their blood with the sacrament, their opportunities for repentance is over. These 18 that the tower fell on them, their opportunity for repentance is over. But yours isn't. And so he tells a parable. Now before I tell this parable, I want you to know that there are some aspects of this parable, and if you'd like to hear about them at a later date, I would be more than happy to dig into this. There's some aspects of this parable that have something to do with a bigger picture scenario to do with Israel and what God was doing with the church. But I'm going to tell you right now, that is not the main point I do not think at all because he's talking to people. And he shifts from these people to the people in front of him and he says this. He tells them a parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Let's set up the picture. I found a picture of a fig tree in a vineyard. How about that? There we go. There's a fig tree in a vineyard. Okay? So the owner of this vineyard wants to find some fruit. I thought to myself, I better get some pic a picture of what, what, is, what do ripe figs look like? <laughs> I don't know about you, but that's, I don't know what figs look like. I, that's, that's how they grow, isn't it? Newton found them and said, after the apple landed on his head and he said, there's gravity, he said, I'm going to make a cookie. All right? No. Ripe figs. Okay? So this fine, the, the owner comes looking for ripe figs on this fig tree. I don't think he's a stupid owner. I think it's enough time has passed where it should be. I don't think, he, I don't think it was a brand new planted tree and he walked out there immediately like, oh, where's my figs? Okay, I don't think that's what's going on. In fact, listen to, there's a little bit more to this story. He goes to the vine dresser or the gardener. And he says this, look, for three years now, I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. So I'm looking for fruit, and I'm not finding any. There's one logical thing to do in this scenario. It's cut it down, get rid of it. It's taken up space. 
Honestly, that's what he says. Why should it use up the ground? Okay, this is a fertile vineyard. Why would I waste this spot in the vineyard with this fig tree that's not even giving me any figs? The vine dresser, so the owner's talking to the vine dresser, the gardener. The vine dresser responds with something. And he answers him, sir. There's three things that I see here. Sir, let it alone this year also. First thing we see is more time. Okay, I'll talk about that in a minute. Now, fig trees don't have ears. Okay, but you do. So here, the vine dressers plea potentially on your behalf. If you've been dragging your feet and God is not, or you have not been producing fruit for his kingdom, you are being given a glimpse into something that could be happening behind the scenes of your very own life. Where's the fruit? There's no fruit. I've given some time for fruit, and there's still no fruit. It's time to move on. Eliminate this tree. Right? Now, fig trees don't have ears, but you do. And if you have ears to hear, hear what the owner says to the gardener today. And if you've been dragging your feet, hear the warning that is here. And God may be giving you more time, but is that time infinite? Is it? Mm -mm. He says specifically, let it alone this year also, and so more time is giving. And maybe you've been waffling on bringing, on the bringing of full repentance in your life, full submission to the God of the universe. Maybe you've been dragging your feet on continued or deeper dedication to what God has for you, and the fruit is not there. And today is the day you hear the voice of God, I'm ready to cut this tree down. But you're still breathing, right? So let's see what else is going on here because the vine dresser does not stop there. He does two more things. And I hope you can tell there's a little bit of a smile on my face as I talk about these next two. Number two. I'm going to do two things here. Let's dig around it. Now, earlier I said, you may have you ever felt like your life's in upheaval? I'm going to tell you right now, this may be why. The God of the universe is digging down to your roots, aerating that soil. The soil's fertile. It's in a, it's in a vineyard. But maybe the upheaval that you're experiencing is the grace of God because you are not producing fruit, and he's giving you more time right? And he digs in. I don't see this as being a pleasant experience, is it? When your life is in upheaval, maybe it even feels like God is taking a spade to your roots and digging all around all sorts of places. You ever feel that way? I'm telling you what, you may be hearing peek behind the curtain we're not going to say, ignore the man behind the curtain. It's not the Wizard of Oz. It's God, and he may be doing something. He may be specifically digging in, aerating that soil, 
And you may go, why is this happening? What's going on? Here's one possibility. You're fruitless. And he wants you to produce fruit. Right? Fruit for the very kingdom of God. Lasting fruit. Eternal fruit. Benefits to the kingdom. That's what he is seeking to produce in you. And you may be sitting there frustrated at God because of all the upheaval. Understand, when you walk out of here today, that upheaval may be the very grace of God in your life. Because he has not cut you down. He's just digging around your roots. Right? Upturning your soul. Maybe it's through events. Maybe it's through situations. Maybe it's through the cutting off of the things that you think you need. Regardless, that root fungus has been exposed to the air. God has dug in. The time is now. The time is to repent. Is now today. It's time to bear fruit. But God does not stop there. The vine dresser does not stop there. There's something else he does. What else is he going to do? And I told you, my mom said I could use this word. Let's go with dung. How about that? That sounds more pastorly, doesn't it? Dig it and dung it. I actually had a pastor, a friend of mine, when he preached through Luke. This is the, you forget some sermons, you remember. This is one that I will never forget, the digging and the dunging of the Lord. Dig it and dung it. And you may be sitting there, so, so what am I saying? Don't dismay at the poop in your life. That's what I'm saying. You never thought you'd hear that on a Sunday, did you? It is the fertile soil of fruit bearing, this dung in your life. That is what's happening. This is so important to embrace. James says it's the trials that produce steadfastness. Peter says it's the testing of your faith, though it is a, has brought you sorrow, is to be rejoiced at. Because it produces a genuineness of faith. Proverbs 17.3, the crucible is for silver and the furnace is for gold and the Lord tests the hearts. There are hard things. Is the, the crucible for silver and the furnace for gold? You think the gold's like, ooh, this feels nice. Furnace, crucible. Isaiah 48.10, behold, I have refined you, not as silver I have tried you in the furnace of Affliction. You know what that word sounds like to me when I put it in context of our passage today? Affliction, digging, dung. Right? Digging and dunging. That's what you're experiencing. I, I'm tempted to have you raise your hand and saying, yeah, I feel like my life is surrounded with poo right now. Anybody want to say, go, feel free. Anybody? You got some poo all around? Feel like your life's been dug into? Ah, maybe you're here today, and I'm telling you right now that that is the very grace of God. Don't reject it. Don't fight against it. Sink your roots, roots deep into the, the manure of your life. You never thought you'd hear that phrase before, did you? Sink your roots. That would that'd make a great t-shirt, wouldn't it? Sink your roots deep in the manure of your life. <laughs> Somebody going to create that for me? We'll get it, we'll get it printed out. Uh, Psalm 119, 
60, before I was afflicted, before I was dug and dunged, I went astray, but now I keep your word. It is good for me that I was dug around and had dung piled on top. I picture the digging and the dunging going together. And those holes that God digs up in your life, putting in that fertile, right? Deep in there. I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness you have dug around and dung has come upon me in your faithfulness, O Lord. I want to share a passage, and we're almost done. Isn't that shocking? I'm going to share a passage with you from Hebrews that I'm going to read through, and I want you to consider taking this one with you through your week this week and just working through it, jotting it down. It's Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11. If you want, go get some more context. Go a little bit before that. Read a little bit after that. Feel free to just chomp down on as much as you can some, some meat of the word here for you to chew on through this week, especially if you're sitting here today, and all joking aside, that it, what I'm talking about is, is hitting a nerve. You're like, that is what it feels like. And the reality is I don't want to be, again, silly about it to say that it's not that these things in real life feel okay. They're hard. They're hard things. When God digs up those roots and when the dung comes into the situation, I, we can joke about it, we can laugh about it. The reality is those are hard, smelly, stinky things that happen. And what I'm telling you is that what God is saying in this text is saying, in one sense, you've got to understand that if this is happening, one of the things may be happening is the grace of God is saying, don't cut them down yet. Let's see if this produces the fruit. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11. The writer of Hebrews says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons or children? Sons and daughters, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. And I don't, I'm okay with going to this route and talking about this, using this word discipline in this context because that tree is in the vineyard and the vine dresser is seeking in his grace to grow something from this through these hard things. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons, as children. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides, Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we've respected them. Shall we not much more? I love those not much more as you find in the scriptures because all of us may hear this and go, well, my father didn't do this well. But so much more so that God who is just and faithful and good and loving, his discipline is always good. 
always true, always loving. So how much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And if we want to swing back to Jesus' teaching, there's an alternative that is implied in Hebrews that is spoken clearly in Luke. For those who are not trained by it to bring forth fruit, there's another alternative. And what was it? Do we know yet? Listen to this. If it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But there's something that's not off the table. But if not, go ahead. These are hard words, are they not? But I want to tell you they're words of life for those who hear. Okay? They're hard words because they may be speaking to what you're going through in a way that you haven't thought of before. Maybe you've been content with griping and complaining at God for all of the digging and the dunging. And maybe that you're hearing something different today and you're going, maybe this is the grace of God. I've been looking at this all wrong. And it's a hard change of mind to have. But if you see it for what it is, it's the very grace of God that he has not to be blunt, cut you down yet? That you're still breathing and he's still seeking to draw forth from you fruit for righteousness. Then embrace it for all that it's worth and say, Lord, help me to, to hear this for what it's worth. Let, let the dig and the dung have its full effect in my heart. That may be the prayer that you have for today. Let the digging and the dunging of the Lord have its full effect on my heart today. Lord, please, let it have its full effect. Let its fertile goodness seep into my roots. And let it have its full effect on me. Proverbs 29.1, I'll end on this. Gosh, Matt, couldn't you end on something a little more positive? I'm going to let Paul do that. He who is often rebuked or reproved, yet stiffens his neck. Maybe that's where you're at. I don't know. I can't see your heart. I don't know. But if you're sitting here today and you feel the reproving of the Lord, and any of you have dogs? You ever, you ever grab the leash and they don't want to go where you're going? What do they do? <laughs> you ever seem to, and you're just trying to drag them along and they're like, they're, they're not budging. Those feet are not moving. Some of you, that is a picture of what you might be doing in this exact moment. And God is reproving you. And he's pointed out what he's doing in you. And he's saying, you know what it is. You know what you need to repent of. You know what you need to turn away from. You know what these things are. But there is fruit I want to 
grow in your life, if you remain stiff-necked, there comes a point, and if you've never heard this before, I, I want you to hear it very clearly. There, this is a biblical reality. There comes the potential of a point where God says, enough. Right? I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to hand it over to Paul. Heavenly Father, I would ask now this morning in the middle of this very challenging text of Scripture where you, when you were on this earth, spoke some very challenging words. I would ask that you would help us to, Lord, embrace them for all that they're worth in our heart and our mind. Lord, if we have been, Lord, if you've been digging and dunging in our life, God, I ask that it would have its full effect on us. Lord, I pray this for myself, not just for everyone else. Lord, I pray that those hard things that each and every one of us, we are not exempt. Lord, I pray that they would produce the fruit that you are growing in us. Help us not to remain stiff-necked or stubborn, but to submit to the goodness of God. I thank you, Lord, for your grace and a grace that does not cut us down immediately. Oh, Lord, thank you. I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.